Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you chapter 115 of Radiance, my original Fallout fan fiction. As always, I do hope you'll like, share, and subscribe to this wherever you can. And if you can leave feedback, either at fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even at my own website, ghostnobody.com. It's always welcome, and I always enjoy reading what you guys are thinking and what uh, ideas you may have. And as always, if you do pop over to ghostnobody.com, check out Stormrider while you're there. You know, if big surly dragoness girls, orcs, elves, lamia girls, elves, and you know, all sorts of magical species across multiple galactic kingdoms is your bag, I think you might enjoy it. And also, while you're there, why not check out the Ghostly Link section? Check out Mortis, my original novel. Pick yourself up a copy from either Amazon or from Smashwords. Help support me and keep me doing what I love. Bringing original alien love stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with said show, shall we? Oh, first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own Fallout or anything to do with it. That's all the realm of Bethesda. But on a positive note, Starfield! Yay! Let's get on with the show. Chapter 115. Ghost in the Machine. The network of pipes was like a bloody maze, and if it wasn't for Wisp's ability to create bursts of light when she needed to, it would have been a bloody nightmare for her even to see where she was going, let alone pick her way through. The old ventilation and heating pipes crisscrossed one another in a seemingly never-ending maze, and she lost count of the amount of rats and spiders she sent fleeing off into the darkness as she released a burst of light in order to see which way to turn. Though mostly she tried to keep it to a minimum, That way she hopefully didn't accidentally give herself away. But eventually, she finally saw a light at the end of a particularly long ventilation duct. When she floated to the end of it, she was relieved to see a grate that led directly into what was blatantly the main centre of the railroad HQ. The place looked pretty chaotic for a resistance HQ, with parts, weapons and all sorts of shit strewn everywhere. But it also kind of had a lived-in and fully alive quality to it as well. There were people constantly coming and going, returning from missions, only to be sent back out on others, or turning in intel before taking a well-earned breather. The place really was a hive of activity. It looked like they tended to keep the on-site staff to a bare minimum, most likely for security, as having all your major players or eggs in one basket was pretty much inviting your opponents to remove you as a threat. A similar stance to which Seven had taken with how he'd split their own group up to tackle all multiple tasks all at once. That's when Wisp spied two figures that she instantly recognised from Fuller's visual descriptions of them, Desdemona and Glory. Taking one look at Glory and Wisp could instantly see what caused Fuller to fall for her. She was indeed a rather handsome woman, strong, regal-looking, and with an air of confidence about her that simply shone off her like an aura. But Wisp could also see an air of sadness hanging about her, and she got the distinct feeling that was due to the ESF soldier currently sat atop their tower with the rest of her team. The other face that Wisp instantly recognised due to Fuller's rather vivid description of him was Tinker Tom. The dude was exactly how she'd pictured him in her mind when Fuller had been describing him. A tall, skinny black guy with the funkiest helmet she'd ever seen more electronics hanging off him than she herself had had when she was inside the body of a sentry bot. He was currently hunched over a workbench, elbows deep in what appeared to be a weapon of some kind, though to Wisp it looked like a cross between a coil gun and some kind of rocket launcher, which, if it didn't explode in the user's face, was most likely to pack one hell of a punch. 
Tom, any progress on that anti-corsair gun? Desdemona asked, lift, lifting her flame-laden head from the maps and glance over at him. Son, I got the alignment right. Just need to tune the frequency into all of the coils so that the shell goes where we want it to and not either straight down or straight up. Tom replied, lifting up his own head to show off his massively magnified eyes due to the jeweler's louvre he had bolted onto the front of his helmet for close-up electronic work. Well, hurry up with that thing. We need to get it field-tested, especially with all the reports we keep getting of in- increased institute activity. Something's really fucking stirred them up as of late, and I really just wish we knew what, Desdemona said. Think it could have something to do with the reports we've been getting about those mysterious vertebrates we've been seeing in the area? Glory asked curiously. Desdemona simply shrugged. I honestly have no idea. All we do know is those things don't belong to the Brotherhood. At least those guys are obvious when they go somewhere, Desdemona said. Think it could be the Enclave? Tom asked, and again Desdemona shrugged. Hell, for all we know, it could be those new guys Mouse warned us about. The free peoples of the waste. Fucking free pe- my ass. From what they, she said, they sound like slavers with a particular pay- taste for synth labour. Desdemona said, and Wisp's sparkly heart skipped a beat. Yeah, I've been hearing whispers about those guys from a ton of different settlements around the place. But something really doesn't add up, Des. The intel Mouse has got on them pegged them as slave takers. But from what I've been hearing, they're complete opposite. Glory said, sounding rather confused. Desdemona held her hands to the sides. I simply have no idea what to believe about them. They're like the fucking boogeymen. Hell, they've got us beat for damn tradecraft. That's for damn sure. We've got no positive sightings on them and nothing to really go on. But at the same time, if a report comes in from one of our best agents, we really do have to act accordingly. So until I get some proof otherwise... We're going to treat them as a threat to us, and to synth everywhere, she said, and Glory nodded, as did Tom. Wisp wondered to herself what this mouse was that Desdemona had mentioned. Was it when the one that Ape was impersonating, or were they merely a patsy he was using to relay information back to the railway to HQ? This was not going to be any clear-cut or easy way to get that answer, either. Unless she could find a way of making Eight out himself or finding a way to forcibly out him, which, until such an opportunity presented itself, she'd either have to tread, or rather float, very carefully. Sweeping the environment directly outside of the vent, Wisp traced a path along the ceiling in between two old heating pipes that she could use to traverse the room silently. So, slowly and silently, she flowed out of the gaps in the vent, floating up to the ceiling and slipped through the gaps in between the copper pipes. Slowly, she inched her way across the room while staying in the shadow of the pipes and using the gaps to move. Being a cloud of essentially gas really did have its benefits at times. But that's when Wisp noticed something odd in the side room off the main one. There appeared to be an assaultron in there, but it didn't appear to be rigged for combat. It looked like he was doing some sort of complex mathematical equation. Like he was trying to work out probabilities of something. Hey, Pam, any updates on that new op we got going? Desdemona asked, sticking her head into the room, causing the faceless machine to turn and look at her. I have calculated a 72.2% chance that the Institute will counterattack our agents 
should we attempt to disrupt their operation? The assault drone said in a very mechanical, matter-of-fact voice. Fuck. Any ideas on how we can reduce that? Desdemona asked. Nuke the fuckers? Glory said, sounding quite bitter from the other room. The highest chance of success would involve an outside party to draw the Institute's attention. This, theoretically, could provide enough of a distraction for our agents to enter the facility and remove the captives safely, Pam advised. A patsy? Yeah, I like this idea. Think we can either get the Brotherhood or the fucking Gunners to hit them? Be nice not to get us being the ones getting shot at for once. Glory said, stepping into the room to join Desdemona. You know, that's not a bad idea. Not so much the Brotherhood, as not only as they might actually have the firepower to hit them, but wipe them out. Placing the captives in rather serious risk, especially if our guys can't get them out of there in time. But the Gunners, on the other hand, they're mercs. They'll hit anyone they're paid to. So if we post an anonymous contract, those Goombas will walk right in there and start shooting up the place. Should cause enough of a ruckus for a small extraction team to slip in quietly and be gone before anyone realised what's happened. Plus, the added benefit of the Institute now hunt gunner gumbas. Win-win, Desdemona said, scratching her chin thoughtfully. Sounds like a plan to me, boss. Want me to set it up? Glory asked and Desdemona nodded. Yeah, let's put out some feelers. See if we can get the gunners to bite. Pretty sure they'll be all over this like ferals all over an abandoned railway station if they think there's a fat stack of cap waiting for them at the end of it, she said. Well, anything that helps remove the threat of both the gunners and the institutes in one go is definitely okay in my book, Glory said, and with that the pair of them turned and left the room, leaving the assaulter on cold Pam all alone to carry on her calculations. Wisp debated the risks of possibly infiltrating the assault run as it would give her pretty much an unrestricted access to the railroad HQ. But given that they seemed to be using the bot for some kind of combat analysis comp- calculations, she figured it would probably be rather risky to take over the bot, just in case one of the members came in to ask it a question of some kind. So, shelving that idea for a last resort, she slinked her way back into the main room again. But that's when she noticed something curious and an idea began to swirl in her mind. On Tinker Tom's left arm appeared to be one of those Pip-Boy-like machines that Seven wore on his arm. A portable computer that had originally been designed for vault residents, or as they were commonly called, vault dwellers. If she could gain access to that device, she'd be able to communicate with Tom one-on-one and away from the others. The biggest question was... How to gain access to him without him noticing. Wisp slowly made her way along the pipes until she was right above Tom where he was working and she noticed that he had the Pip-Boy plugged into a much larger system that was sitting on the floor under the desk. So she figured that was some kind of main processing system while the Pip-Boy itself was a control unit. Wisp figured that she could get access to that system she should be able to travel up the connecting wire and into the Pip-Boy itself though she was going to have to be quick if she wanted to pass by Tom unnoticed as she went from the ceiling to the floor. So once she was directly behind the unaware man, Wisp checked the coast was clear before she flitted her way down from the ceiling to the floor of the room and rolled across it like smoke across the surface of water. Using the cooling intakes, Wisp filtered herself into the large processing bank. It was filled with large vacuum tubes and circuit boards, 
and she could feel the electricity and heat coursing through like it called to her. She quickly made her way up the inside of the tower to where she found the connection ports that Tom's Pip-Boy was plugged into. Using the solders as an access point, Wisp pulled a slightly more impressive trick out of her bag and converted her body into the equivalent of an electrical current. Now, as impressive as a trick this was, it was kind of limited in how she could actually use it. She couldn't just do it on a whim as she needed to access either a live circuit or flowing electrical current to do it properly. But applying this little trick was what allowed her to interface directly with the live machinery, like the bodies and machines she'd currently taken over over the course of their adventure. So as soon as her whole body converted into current, Wisp let herself flow along the copper connection cable and up into Tom's wrist-mounted Pip-Boy, where she instantly began to infiltrate his main processing board. To Tom, this would have looked nothing more than like an interrupt or a glitch, as Wisp was careful to make sure she didn't actually interrupt the processes that he was currently running. But once she was fully integrated, she essentially had full control over the system, both if you counted the ground-based unit processing system that he was currently hooked into as well. Now all she had to do was bide her time until she could speak to Tom without either freaking him out or alerting the others to her presence or having him brush her off as an erroneous process. It took a couple of hours of patient waiting, but finally Tom decided to go and take a break from his work. Though he did seem to have finished his work on the gun itself, he'd been working on, according to the files that, tip, that Wisp found in the archive on the Pip-Boy, he called it the CC, or Corsair Cracker. From the file she'd read, the weapon appeared to be something close to what she imagined by looking at it. It was a coil gun platform that hired a, fired a heavy explosive slug designed to punch through the energy shielding that Corsairs apparently liked to use. The slug it fired was the truly clever bit of the setup. It was a three-stage delivery system, kind of like a bullet within a bullet within a bullet. The first stage was a charged shell that the weapon infused with a high amount of electrical energy upon firing, that it then dumped straight into the Corsair's shields along with an incredible amount of kinetic energy that it built up on its way before impact. As this proceeded to overload the Corsair's shields, a small charge within the back of the projectile fired off, sending a much denser and smaller core straight out the centre of the outer shell, which was designed to pierce the armoured flesh of the Corsair. But it was the third and final stage that was the truly clever bit. Once the inner slug punched into the Corsair's body, an explosive charge buried within the centre of this core would detonate, sending shrapnel outwards in every direction like a flechette bomb going off in your chest, while also at the same time detonating a small EMP charge so it would simultaneously short out any self-repair systems the Corsair had. The sheer level of engineering that went into conceiving of such a device, let alone actually making it a reality, wasn't just impressive, it was on a whole other level. A system like this relied heavily on absolutely precise timing to detonate its payloads at exactly the right time. So what Tom was actually doing now was designing a sensor system that could read the target and do the calculations for the user on the fly. This would mean that every direct hit could detonate the charges at exactly the right time without having to be reprogrammed each and every time the target moved. But finally, Tom unplugged his Pip-Boy and headed over to the canteen to grab something to eat. And that's given that it was already late night according to the Pip-Boy's clock. Pretty much everybody else was asleep in the bunk area. 
this was Wisp's chance. So as Tom grabbed something from one of the fridges and sat down at one of the tables to eat, she began to access the word processing software of the Pip-Boy. You have a traitor in the railroad, she wrote on the screen and set it to blink on and off until he finally noticed it. This model of Pip-Boy actually had a camera set into the top of it which did allow Wisp to actually see him and her surroundings. So she saw the exact moment he noticed the blinking text on the green screen. Tom stared at it for a hard moment before looking around himself as if to see where the message sender was. But upon seeing this, he quickly pulled up the on-screen base keyboard and began to type on it. Who is this? Where are you? He wrote before waiting for a response. The who and where I am are unimportant. Suffice to say I'm a friend who is part of a group with the same ideals and goals as yourself. We have recently learned that your group has been infiltrated by an imposter posing as one of your agents, with the intent of spreading misinformation as well as using you to lead them to the Institute, and to us, Wisp wrote. Tom stared at the screen like he'd just found an alien bolted to his arm before he began to write his response. Why should I even believe you when you won't even tell me who you are? He wrote back. You wouldn't believe me even if I did tell you. But suffice it to say, we want what you want. An end to the Institute and freedom for all their synthetic slaves, Wisp wrote. Try me, Tom wrote defiantly. Wisp sighed to herself and decided to try something rather risky. It really was a long shot, but if it worked, she was definitely going to have his full attention. All right then, so be it. I'm an oncorporeal being who is currently residing in within your Pip-Boy on your wrist. Wisp wrote, and Tom's expression said it all. It went from amazed to irritated to amused in about three seconds flat. I'm being fucking serious, he wrote back. So am I. Please, allow me to show you. Wisp wrote before she disconnected and floated out of the vents on the side of the Pip-Boy. Tom's eyes turned into a pair of dinner plates as Wisp coalesced into a usual cloud form before doing a lap around his head and then disappearing back into his Pip-Boy again. Believe me now, she wrote when she was reconnected. Tim, Tom so, simply sat there staring at his screen with an open mouth and wide eyes for a solid minute before he managed to collect himself enough to be able to write a response. How the fuck is something like that possible? Am I hallucinating? He wrote. It would take me too long to explain the science behind what created me and the others like me, but suffice it to say that we exist, as you can plainly see. As for the hallucinating part, well, how about this for proof? Wisp said, and with that she sent a jolt from the battery directly to his arm. Ow! Tom exclaimed a bit louder than he would have liked, as there were a few annoyed snorts from the bunk room as well as his yell disturbed some of the sleeping agents. Keep it down, or you'll wake up the others, and I have no wish for them to know of my existence, as I could tip off your traitor, Wisp wrote. Ow, that hurt. Why did you shock me? Tom wrote with a mixture of hurt and irritation written on his face. Sorry, but I felt it would make the point quicker than getting into a metaphysical discussion as to why you're not hallucinating. Funny how a little pain is a quick and easy proof of what I'm saying. Unless you know of any other types of smoke that can do loop-the-loops around your head she said. Tom looked pretty thoughtful at that and then he began to type again. All right, let's say I believe you. 
Why come to me and say not one of the others like Desdemona? He asked. Firstly, you're the only one with the tech I need to communicate. Secondly, the one with the most open mind. And that's the most important part here. So you'll listen to what I'm saying and react to it rather than just dismiss me outright through paranoia, she said. Todd nodded at that. All right, you got me there. So what's this about a traitor? he asked. Your group has been infiltrated by a member of the Enclave. This person seeks to misguide you guys and send you off on a pursuit of a group that's aiming to do the same thing as yourselves. They help to play you off against them and possibly start a war between you two so they can capture some of its members while you guys destroy the rest, Wisp wrote. Tom looked both intrigued and confused. What group? And why would they do that? He wrote. The Free Peoples of the Wastes. The group is dedicated to freeing people from slavery, regardless of who and what they are, while promoting human and non-human relations. They're trying to help build a better world by embracing the world we have, and getting its inhabitants to work together as a whole. The Enclaves see them as a threat to their power and control, and they're using every trick they can think of to hunt them down. They also wish to capture its leaders, as they happen to be two of their escaped experiments that are, that are on the run by its bioweapons division, West wrote. Tom's mouth dropped open into this, and he stared hard at the screen as the text blinked away at him. Are you saying they're like superhumans or something? He wrote. In a manner of speaking, I guess you could say that, yes. Their leader, is, who is called Seven, which is short for Number Seven, is most likely one of the most powerful beings on the planet. He's a telekinetic being with the ability to interact with the world with nothing more than a simple thought. But he's also one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. He's dedicated himself to freeing people from slavery and tyranny to giving them the power to give them, govern their own lives and helping them to understand that not every creature they share this world with is an abomination that wishes to do them harm. So you can imagine, this does not sit well with the Enclave, as they would rather have people afraid and turning to them for protection from the scary boogeymen, while pledging them people and resources in return, Wisp explained. Tom's face morphed into one of anger. The rotten bastards are no better than the Institute. Enslaving innocent people under the guise of freeing them? He wrote and Wisp felt herself smile. Exactly. And that's exactly what the free peoples of the race stand against, she said. Tom looked thoughtful for a moment and then began typing it again. So let's say for just a moment that I do believe you. Who is the traitor? He wrote. That's the real problem. The Infiltrator is another of the Bioweapons Division's little pets, a person called Number 8, and their ability is especially tricky. They're a shapeshifter, with the ability to mimic a person right down to their looks voice and voice. Apparently they can make themselves indistinguishable from the original. The only way to out them truly is their memory, Wisp explained. Tom looked both shocked and now a little nervous. A fucking shapeshifter? Are you bloody kidding me? He wrote back. I wish I were. But as you've probably figured out by now, I too am one of these experiments. And just like Seven, I escaped. You can call me Wisp. And I too am a member of the Free Peoples. 
There is a whole host of us locked up within the Enclave's bioweapon division, and our abilities are pretty varied, but no less dangerous than one another. It's literally what we were created for. Whispered, choosing to use a little honesty to hammer a point home here. So wait, you are one of these free people? He asked. Yes, myself and Seven escaped along together with two sentient claws called Visa and Ven. The four of us started the Free Peoples of the Wastes as we were running from the Enclave. We began to see the injustices the people suffered every single day out there, and we figured that we could use both our strength and our talents to make people's lives better. It kind of just snowballed from there. And now, well, now we're a movement rather than just a group, Wisp said somewhat proudly. Tom once again looked thoughtful before he began typing. Look, I want to believe you, I really do, but this is seriously way out there, you know? He said. I can prove it to you, Wisp replied. How? Tom asked, ever curious now. We currently have a team watching your HQ. If you'd be willing to meet with us face to face, I can show you who you are, who we are, and who we truly are. If you can see it for yourself. Look, I know it's a risk for you and I fully understand that we're really asking a lot of you here and a lot of trust that we've not yet earned. But we have no desire to hurt you or your people. If lives were not on the line, we'd be more than happy just to let you guys on with your work and leave you be. If anything, we'd want to help you out as we have some pretty unique skill sets and operators available within our ranks that can do things you guys truly can't. But none of that's ever going to happen if this traitor manages to convince the right people in your organisation to hunt us down. Because then it's going to end up in a war that we have no wish to fight. Wisp said. Tom looked very thoughtful at this, but also a little nervous at the prospect. But eventually it did seem the curiosity won out. Can you guarantee my safety? He asked. Yes, Wisp simply replied. Then it'll have to happen tonight. Because everyone knows I never leave the base unless circumstances are truly dire. So if I leave in the daytime, it's going to raise a hell of a lot of red flags with people, Tom said. That works fine for us. My team has stood too not, not far from you. Say the word and I'll make it happen right now if you wish, she replied. Tom blew out a long held breath like the debate was still raging in his head. And finally he just nodded. All right then, let's do this. I'll slip out the back, meet me there and say, 20 minutes? He replied. Perfect. I'll be waiting. You can follow me to the meeting site from there. It's not far. I'll go ahead and alert my team. She said, and with that, she shot out of his pit boy and back into the pipes. After a beef flight back to her body and the briefest hug fest from her ever nervous, cute, nervous cuddle spider, Wisp informed her team what was happening. Fuller up the remainder opted to remain on lookout, as Tinker Tom knew him by sight, and he felt that his presence could probably jeopardise everything. So with that in mind, the team headed down to the spot that Fuller picked out, thanks to its great sightlines that would allow him to engage any hostiles with his rifle if shit hit the fan in the meantime. So while Malachi carried her powered down body down to the site, Wisp flew back to the, main, to the rear entrance of the railroad HQ to meet Tom she found standing in the thick shadows of some graves, looking around nervously while clutching a gun in his hands. She floated down into his visual range and sparkled herself so he could see her properly. Oh, thank God, there you are. I fucking hate it out here. 
The noises you can hear in these streets are bad enough in the daytime. At night it's a fucking hundred times worse, he said, glancing around himself nervously. Wisp took on the shape of a hand and beckoned him to follow her, making him nod as he tore himself away from the imagined safety of his nest of thick shadows. As he walked, Tom pointed his gun at just about every single sound he heard. Wisp seriously hoped that he didn't wind up firing a shot at either Ven or Parza, or he would probably wind up with a, either a very angry boyfriend or girlfriend to deal with, neither of which would be too impressed that their lo- lover claw now had a new bullet hole in their hide or armour. But thankfully it seemed the team were ready for such a response, because as soon as Tom stepped into the silent shop that the team had chosen as the meeting place, a shape morphed straight out of the shadows behind him and snatched him off his feet, clamping one hand over his mouth while the other hand took his gun right out of his hands without him ever having time to even squeeze the trigger, let alone fire off a shot properly. Tom made a muffled cry and kicked and thrashed, trying to break free of Ven's iron-like grip. Hey, calm down now. We mean you no harm. We only wish to make sure that you weren't going to shoot one of us by accident. Ven said in his deep, gravelly voice, which caused Tom to freeze solid. From the corner of the room, a lantern ignited, bathing the room and its inhabitants in golden light, and Wisp felt herself snort a laugh as she seen that the lantern was webbed onto Malachi's fluffy rear end. Wisp saw her body laid on the countertop next to him, where he was protecting it, and she flew over to it and entered it before powering it up and sitting up with a whoosh of breath. "'You okay?' Malachi asked with a note of concern in his voice. Absolutely flying, my fluffy little lamppost spider, she said, making pass a small to laugh now and shoot Malachi a fang-filled grin. Told you she wouldn't miss a trick, he said, and Malachi simply glared at him with his eight eyes before returning his attention back to Wisp. Are all go all right? he asked, and she nodded before walking over and retrieving the plasma pistol from Paz's ha- left hand and nodding at Ven to let Tom down, which he did. Wisp held out the gun to Tom, who looked at it, it as like she was trying to hand him an alien entity for a moment before taking it. You're, you're giving us back to me? Why? he exclaimed in confusion. Simple. Like I said, we mean you no harm. I truly mean it. We simply didn't wish you to shoot one of our people by accident, is all. I know our group can look pretty scary to the uninitiated, but honestly, these guys are a bunch of sweethearts. Well, unless you threaten their loved ones. Then, just run. She said with a grin as on cue, both Shepard and Gregory stepped up to their lover Claude and embraced them, while Malachi stepped up to her and did the same from behind. Tom looked simply amazed and a little scared by the scene surrounding him now, but then his curiosity overcame him and he instantly began to flick tools down over his eyes as he looked at Wisp. That body, it's synthetic. He exclaimed and she nodded. Yes, killed for the enclave but for study. Well, we believe, anyway. The previous owner was brain dead when we found her. So I was able to get the skin. I wasn't able to save the person within. Now I honour that person who was once this by allowing her to live on through me, she said. Incredible. So you can resurrect dead synth bodies? He asked. Well, if they're not too badly damaged, then yeah, somewhat. I can kickstart their nervous system and bioelectrical systems, if that's what you mean, she said. Amazing, Tom said, and that's when he seemed to truly notice the absolutely massive male claw looming over him 
and his eyes went massive through the louves he'd been using. Holy shit! he exclaimed, jumping back and making Vince snort a laugh. Don't worry, little human, I won't hurt you. If I'd have wanted to do that, I'd have cut your head from your shoulders the moment you walked in the door, Vince said, flicking out his claws to emphasise his point. All four of them. He, he, he can talk, Tom exclaimed, glancing between Wisp and Ven. Well spotted, Gregory said, with more than a hint of sarcasm in his voice as he patted Ven's massive thigh. Told you our group was diverse, and this is only a small, small fraction of it. There's a lot more of us out there spread out all over the place, Wisp said. You seriously weren't kidding, Tom exclaimed, looking around them all. All right, Tom, take a seat. We'll take you through what we know, but first, a demonstration to prove a point. Wisp said, nodding at Yumi, who smiled and lifted off the floor in a cloud of flames, before settling herself back onto the ground before him and sending electrical surges arcing all over her body, turning the air blue all around her. Tom, meet number nine, who is now called Yumi, another of our freed brethren, and until recently a member of the very team sent to infiltrate your group, with the intent of using you to hunt us down, Wisp said. So, so, so you're like her, a super number person? He asked and Yumi laughed and nodded. Super number person, I like that, she said in a high mirth-filled voice. Tom took a seat where Wisp indicated and Wisp began to bring him up to speed with the adventures of the group so far. It took about two hours to get Tom up to speed as he kept asking questions about just about everything. But when Wisp was finally finished, he seemed to be convinced by what they were saying. You know, I get the distinct feeling I know who the traitor is, he said, sounding rather sad as he said it. Who? Yumi asked curiously. I don't know her real name, as very few of us would really use them, but her code name is Mouse. She's the one who originally made the report about you guys, but honestly it was kind of sketchy. But there was just enough of a threat veiled in there for Deserts to task a team to start looking for you guys. But honestly, I've just felt something was off with Mouse. Usually she's as sharp as a tack and doesn't miss a trick. But recently she seems forgetful, he said. Forgetful? Wisp pressed and he nodded. Well, when she sent out on her last run, I asked her to bring me back some components for a build I was working on for her. But when she came back in, she didn't even remember the components or even the build. She just played it off for stress and tiredness, but she's been harping on about this thing for weeks until I finally agreed to build it for her. At first, I got worried that she was a synth, so I kind of scanned her and ran some tests, but she came back clean. But then if she's a shapeshifter, that kind of explains it, as my scan's designed to pick out synth bodies, not superhumans, he said. Looks like we've got a target then. So what's the play, boss? Go in and drag her, um, him out? Van asked and Wisp looked thoughtful before shaking her head. No, we can't afford to tip eight off. He could run and we'd lose our lead on him. As he'd take on a new skin and just vanish and we'd have to start from scratch. We need to lure him into a trap and expose him to the whole railroad so they can see him for who and what he really is. Then they will see that we are not their enemy but their actual allies in waiting. Wisp said. All right, what did you have in mind? Tom asked, and Wisp turned to Yumi. Yumi, you know him best. You got any ideas on what would draw him out? 
she asked. She looked thoughtful for a moment before a smile crossed her face. I think I just have just the might have the just the thing. It'd be kind of tricky to pull it off, but if we get it to work, then it should be perfect bait to pull him out of his hidey hole. But we'll need part two in order to get the railroad into the same place so that we'll be able to pull the rug out from under him. We're there all there to see it, she said. Leave that part to me. I think I should be able to get one of our scav teams to head to where you need them to go. I'll just tell them to watch their back as it's a risky zone, but there's really good components there. They'll stay low and stay out of sight until they're sure it's clear, Tom said. I can web up the place ahead of time so we'll know when they're in position to witness our little show, Malachi said, twirling his spinnerets as if to make a point. All right then, sounds like we've got a plan forming, so let's get to it. Tom, if you don't mind, I'll ride shotgun with you until we can get this underway, Wisp said, and Tom nodded. So with all that, they sat down, and Yumi began to outline her plan. Yeah, so that was chapter 115, ladies and gentlemen. But will Wisp's plan work? Will she be able to pull number eight out into the open? Or will he catch on to what they're doing and vanish into the ether? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions, and so many more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you all next time.